This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. You know, sometimes it seems that strange and unusual crimes dominate the news cycle. I don't know if this has to do with the time of the year, changes in the climate or economy, the fact that there's a full moon out, or what. But I've been noticing a lot of newsworthy and very odd crime stories in my area of the country for the last couple of months. So I've decided to give you not one, but three true crime stories in this episode. Each one was reported not long ago, and all of them made me go, hmm, when I learned about them. I couldn't wait to dig in to see what more I could learn. And also, I couldn't wait to share them with you. All of these stories made me sit up and take notice. I've put together all the details I can find up to this point, and I'll continue to follow these cases. I'll update you in the future should more information be revealed. I hope you enjoy this episode that I've titled, What the Crime? Beginning in the spring of 2021, and over the next 18 months, a string of killings would occur in Stockton, California. Stockton, California is a mid-sized city, as California cities go, located 83 miles east of the city of San Francisco and 75 miles northeast of San Jose, where I'm located. The population of Stockton is 320,000, and it's an agricultural area. It's considered the California Central Valley. The community of Stockton has struggled with poverty and violence, including drugs, gangs, and robbery, as most mid-sized cities go. But it has a disproportionate number of crime per capita. And this has been attributed to the level of poverty in the area, as well as the fact the drug trade has taken hold in the community for some time now. But in 2021, the public began to fear that a serial killer was operating in their community. Police would at first reassure Stockton citizens that they had no reason to suspect serial murders were occurring. However, as the victim tally began to mount, they had to concede that there might be a link. In April of 2021, there were two separate shootings, one in Oakland, California, located about an hour west of Stockton, and another one in Stockton, California, and these at first would not be linked together at all, but we'll see later on that they were all connected. First, on April 10th, 2021, at just around 4 a.m., Juan Miguel Vasquez Serrano was found shot and killed on the streets of Oakland, California. Serrano was 40 years old, and at the time, he did not have stable housing. He worked as a mechanic for hire and would sometimes sleep in the cars that he was repairing. He was a familiar figure in the East Oakland area. He would often ride his bike through the seminary neighborhood of East Oakland, which is up towards the Oakland Hills. It's an area I'm very familiar with. I went to school at Holy Names University, which is right down the hill from the seminary neighborhood. It's a beautiful area. On April 16, 2021, just about a week after the first victim was found, a woman in Stockton, California, was also shot. Natasha Latour was a 46-year-old African-American woman who was unhoused at the time and was living in an encampment at just about 3 o'clock in the morning. She heard footsteps outside around her campsite. 
When she stepped out of the tent, she saw a man in dark clothing and wearing a mask pointing a gun at her. Her immediate reaction was to move towards the man with her hand out. He began firing. He fired multiple times at Natasha, but he never said a word. She was shot, but she would survive. She was able to identify the man, but her description was somewhat vague. She identified him as being between 5 foot 10 and 6 foot 2, and she could describe his clothing, but nothing of his features. The next shooting that occurred, that later would be connected to the previous shootings, didn't happen until a year later. The possible reasons for this, as I theorized, is that the last victim had survived, and the shooter may have been worried that he had been ID'd. So he might have laid low for a while and maybe was waiting to see if somebody did identify him and there would be a knock on his door and he would be arrested or at least investigated for that previous shooting. But maybe after a year went by, he figured that he had not been identified and he decided to continue to seek out victims. In the summer of 2022, a series of murders would happen in Stockton, California, just within a short period of time and in the same general area. On July 8th, Paul Alexander Yaw, a 35-year-old Caucasian male, was shot and killed while he was in a park in North Stockton. At about 12.30 a.m., Yaw was discovered dead. He was a father, a brother, a cousin, and a nephew. His family was devastated to find out that he had been killed. He was unhoused at that time, but he had a large extended family and was said to be a good-hearted guy and loved by his entire family. A month later, on August 11th, Salvador DeBeauty Jr., a 43-year-old Hispanic male and native of Stockton, was found shot in a parking lot of a fast food restaurant. And this was just a mile and a half away from where Paul Yaw was killed. Salvador had been married for 12 years and was the father of three children. He also at this time was experiencing homelessness and was estranged from his family. He had struggled with addiction and his daughter Selena would say this about him, quote, he didn't always get the dad part right, but deep down, I really do think he tried his hardest. Addiction is a very scary and deadly disease. We all loved him very, very much. And he was always supportive when we needed it the most, end quote. Salvador was also survived by three younger brothers and his parents. Just a couple of weeks later on August 30th, 2022, Another man was found shot and killed about 6.40 in the morning. Jonathan Hernandez Rodriguez, a.k.a. Johnny, would be the youngest victim. He was just 21 years old, and he had also grown up in Stockton. He was shot while sitting in his car in the parking lot of his apartment complex. His parents also lived in Stockton as well as his sister, and his mother told reporters that she's considering moving out of the area because Stockton no longer feels safe. One more month went by when the fourth murder victim was found in Stockton. Juan Cruz was a 52-year-old Hispanic male, also a native from Stockton. Juan Cruz was found shot and killed on a sidewalk between his car and the fence of an apartment complex. But this time, a video camera captured the first images of the suspected gunman. He was seen walking near the apartment complex. This video would later be released to the public and would help to identify the shooter. Less than a week later, on September 27th, at just before 2 a.m., Lorenzo Lopez Sr. was shot and killed. He was a 54-year-old Hispanic male, 
also from Stockton, and a firstborn son. He was a musician and had six children. The next day on September 28th, Stockton police announced that they believed the five homicides were linked and that they may meet the definition of a serial killer. They gave a warning to the public. Chief McFadden from the Stockton police said, quote, it could very well be that it's the same shooter, but we don't have evidence of that as of yet. But regardless of whether it's a serial killer or not, it's a loss of life. A team was now put into place to look into whether these cases were connected and to concentrate on the search for the killer or killers. Two days later, on September 30th, a second press conference was held. Stockton police now identified a person of interest and said that five cases appeared to be linked. They provided a grainy photo of the suspect to the public. A few days later, on October 4th, the killings were definitively connected through ballistic evidence as well as video footage where it appeared that the same man was seen in several areas where the murders took place. This video was released to the public. It depicted the suspect as a male with a, quote, uneven stride and an upright posture. He had a very distinctive walk, and it was something that the police hoped that maybe somebody in the public could identify this person because of his gait. The next day, a town hall public safety meeting was held in Stockton. Stockton's mayor and other leaders in the community provided updates on public safety plans and tips to the public on how to stay safe. There was also an effort by law enforcement and community resource organizations to take to the streets and to warn the unhoused community members in and around Stockton about the killings and also to provide them with resources in order to keep them safe. Just two days later, a suspect was arrested. What first linked these killings together was that investigators noticed a pattern to the killings. All of the victims in Stockton were men between the ages of 21 and 54. All had been shot while alone in dimly lit areas at night or in the early morning hours. Four of the men had been Hispanic and one white. None of these men had been robbed. And four of the five victims were experiencing homelessness at the time. All the murders happened within a four-mile radius of one another. Because of ballistics evidence, other cases were also linked. The 40-year-old Hispanic man shot and killed in Oakland in April of 2021, Juan Serrano, as well as 46-year-old Natasha Latour, who had been shot in Stockton that same month and had survived. A more detailed description was given to the public, and a reward was offered for any information leading to his arrest. The reward would grow to $125,000. As well, law enforcement set up a hotline that brought in several tips from the public. And during the same time, officers were assigned to a surveillance task force once they had a description of the suspect as well as a description of a vehicle that he was possibly connected to. The surveillance task force officers began following this car that they believed was a possible link to these cases. The surveillance task force began following 43-year-old Wesley Brownlee, who they had identified as their best suspect in these killings. Early on Saturday morning, October 15, 2022, they saw him driving a teal-colored van and decided to perform a traffic stop. 
The reason they did this is because they saw what appeared to be Brownlee following an individual who was walking alone at Panella Park in Stockton, and they believed that he was staking out his next victim. Chief McFadden said this, quote, Our surveillance team followed this person while he was driving. We watched his patterns and determined early this morning he was on a mission to kill. He was out hunting, end quote. They stopped his car while he was driving on Winslow Way and Village Green Drive in Stockton. When he was taken into custody, Wesley Brownlee was wearing dark clothing and a mask around his neck. He was also in possession of a firearm. So who was Wesley Brownlee? Brownlee was a 43-year-old truck driver. He had just moved to Stockton, California in the summer of 2022. He had some relatives living in the area. He also had a history of prior criminal convictions in California and Arizona, including past drug violations, traffic violations, and a DUI. In 1997, he was arrested in Alameda County, California, which is the county that Oakland is in. He was arrested for having crack for sale. In 2001, he was arrested for the same offense and served three years in prison uh, on that conviction. He was paroled in May of 2003 and then completely discharged from parole in May of 2006. Three years later, in 2009, he was arrested in San Joaquin County, which is where Stockton is located, on DUI charges. In 2014, he was arrested and charged with possession of cocaine. He pled no contest and served 16 days in jail on this charge. On October 18, 2022, Wesley Brownlee made his first appearance in court where he was charged with three counts of murder. That would be for the murders of Jonathan Rodriguez Hernandez, Juan Cruz, and Lorenzo Lopez. He was also charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm and was held without bond. District Attorney Salazar said that the arrest of the suspected serial killer, Wesley Brownlee, was a result of community effort. Quote, you don't come to our house and bring this kind of reign of terror without mobilizing Stockton citizens, she said, end quote. Brownlee was said to have used a ghost gun for three of the five murders. These are weapons that are often assembled from kits. They do not contain serial numbers and are sold without background checks, making them difficult to trace and easy to acquire by criminals. This investigation and further charges are still pending, and I will be updating you all when I find out more as these cases unfold. It's just a very strange thing when you hear that there's a serial killer working in a community that you are very familiar with, you have family members living there. It's just something that you don't expect. Even though we, as people who follow true crime, may know a lot about serial killer cases once we hear about one in our own communities or communities that are close to us or familiar to us. It really makes it seem more real and much, much scarier. So I will definitely be keeping you updated on this case as it unfolds. Just a couple of weeks ago, I saw a headline in an online news source that I read. And as soon as I read this headline, I knew that I need to find out everything I could on this case. On October 17th of this year, residents of Antioch, California, noted a fire in an unincorporated area of the city. 
emergency services was called. When firefighters arrived, they made a gruesome discovery. It was a body that had been set on fire. Antioch, California is an East Bay town located about 45 miles east of San Francisco and 70 miles north of San Jose. The population of Antioch is about 115,000 people. On October 17th at 5.36 a.m., a call arrived at the Antioch Dispatch Center. The person calling was reporting a small fire on a paved trail north of Lopez Drive. This is just a couple of blocks off of California Highway 4 and not too far from an elementary school. The fire was reported to be in the area of Mocha Lumine Trail. This is a bike and pedestrian trail in Antioch. The Contra Costa County Fire Protection Department responded, and that's when they located a human body on fire. Antioch police and arson investigators were called to the scene as firefighters worked to extinguish the flames. The victim was pronounced dead at the scene. The only thing that they could determine right away was that it appeared to be the body of a female. Investigators then began interviewing area residents to identify anyone that may have seen anything suspicious in the last few hours. The victim was recorded as, quote, female Jane Doe. Due to the extent of her injury, she was unable to be identified. After the coroner examined the body, he determined that the victim was an African-American female, under 30 years old, uh, standing at approximately 5 foot 6 inches tall, unknown weight. She was wearing a ring on her right ring finger and also a pendant with the initial K. He also noted that extensive dental work had been done, and an identifying feature was said to be a distinctive gap between her top front teeth. It didn't take too long before they were able to connect the victim to a missing persons report that had been called into the Antioch police on October 16th, just the day before the body was found. The missing person was said to be 25-year-old Michaela Charlman. She was called Kayla by her family and friends. Kayla was a native of Oakland, California, and one of seven children. She was a loving sister, a daughter, and an aunt. She often cared for her siblings' children, although she had not yet had the opportunity to have any of her own. She was a favorite aunt and often babysat for her nieces and nephews. She would be positively identified a week after her body was found, and it was determined that she had been killed prior to being set on fire. So, small mercy there. After police investigated Kayla's last known movements, they identified two suspects. The suspects were Ashton Montalvo, a 32-year-old with prior convictions for first-degree residential burglary, and D'Angelo Larray Boone, who was 39 years old. Bail for these two suspects was set at $1.5 million, and police are still investigating this homicide. The fact that this young woman was killed for reasons that we are not yet aware of, is one thing. But the fact that they took her to a place that was easily observed by residents in the area and set on fire, which of course is going to draw more attention to this, makes you wonder what is going on in this case. Is this people that are just out of their mind? Was there some kind of uh, bad blood between these people? Was this some kind of sick thrill kill or something? We don't know yet. But I will be bringing you more information when I find out more, if we do find out more about motivation, and of course to learn whether or not there is going to be justice for Kayla. Anyone with additional information relating to this case is asked to contact Detective Whitaker at the Antioch Police Department or text a tip to 
274-637, which spells out the word crimes. If you do text a tip, use the keyword Antioch. All text tips are kept anonymous and cannot be traced to the sender. This final case is very bizarre and a real head-scratcher in a way. After you listen to it, let me know what you think. Here's the summary. Last month, October 2022, a landscape crew working in the back garden of an Atherton mansion made a very odd discovery. Buried on the grounds, five feet deep, was a Mercedes-Benz automobile. The car appeared to have been buried many years, even decades earlier. Police with cadaver dogs would be tasked with determining whether the buried automobile was covering up an even bigger mystery. Atherton, California is located in the heart of Silicon Valley, about 30 miles south of San Francisco and 32 miles north of San Jose. Its population is very small, only about 1,000 residents. Atherton is ranked with having one of the highest per capita incomes in the U.S. in towns with populations between 2,500 and 10,000 residents. Atherton is also noted as the most expensive zip code in the U.S. Average price of an Atherton home is merely $7.5 million. It's home to wealthy executives, tech giants, and professional athletes, including Steph Curry, star basketball player with the Golden State Warriors. On Thursday, October 20th, 2022, a call came into Atherton Police about 9 a.m. Landscapers working on a property discovered a Mercedes-Benz buried five feet in the ground. Investigators arrived at 351 Stockbridge Avenue and had to be buzzed into a gated property that held a 12,000-square-foot home with five bedrooms and seven bathrooms, standing on a 1.6-acre lot and worth $15 million. The home had been built in 1990. It had been sold in 2014 for $7.4 million, and then again in 2020 for $15 million. The car buried in the backyard was discovered to be a 1991 Mercedes-Benz convertible. It was found with its top down, and several bags of concrete were found inside the vehicle, including inside the trunk. Investigators now had to determine whether a body or bodies may have been buried in the vehicle. Cadaver dogs were brought in, and they signaled that they may have hit on the scent of human remains, although this would be difficult to determine. The car was painstakingly dug up over the next two days. Then it was towed onto a flatbed truck and removed from the property to be inspected further. After they were able to get the serial number off the car, investigators discovered that the owner of the Mercedes was one Johnny Boktoon Liu, and he had reported the car stolen in 1992. The owners of the home where the car was discovered were exonerated as they had not purchased this home until 2020. Liu had been the previous owner of the home from 1990 until 2014. The next thing that investigators found that made them even more curious about this buried car and what story it may tell was that Lou had a long criminal history. In 1966, he had been convicted of second-degree murder. He was charged with murdering Karen Gervaisi, a woman he was dating while he was living in Southern California. Lou was married at that time, and Gervaisi was found dead of a gunshot wound in the apartment that Lou shared with his wife. 
Court documents from his appeal state, quote, Defendant, though married, had for some time been enamored of Karen. They were sexually intimate, and there was some contemplation of marriage. On the day Karen died, defendant had picked her up at her parents' house. Karen expressed a desire to fire defendant's pistol, he told investigators. He agreed to take her to a pistol range, and they stopped at his apartment to get the gun. The appeal states that Karen's death was an accidental shooting. Quote, The clip fell to the floor, and as he bent over to pick it up, he heard a shot. The bullet struck Karen in the left temple just above her eye. Defendant became hysterical when he discovered that Karen was no longer breathing. Karen was lying on her back and bleeding profusely around the head. Lou was convicted of second-degree murder for Gervaisi's death, but his murder conviction was overturned by the California Supreme Court a year later. The reason it was overturned was a technicality. It was determined that the court had made an error in admitting hearsay statements into the trial, and Lou was released. About a decade later, in 1977, Lou was once again convicted of attempt and murder. We don't have details about this case, but we know that he served three years in prison for this offense. Then in 1999, Lou, who was now 62, was charged with insurance fraud. He attempted to have someone sink his yacht in order to report it stolen and collect a $1.2 million payout from his insurance company. He made a $30,000 payment to men that he hired to sink the yacht, who turned out to be undercover agents. Lou then left to China on a business trip, instructing these men to sink the yacht off of the Golden Gate Bridge. When he returned from China, he was arrested, and he ultimately served three years in prison. Johnny Lou died from lung cancer in 2015 at the age of 77. After the discovery of the buried vehicle, Lou's daughter told the San Francisco Chronicle that she was shocked to learn about the car buried on the property where she lived with her parents. But she said, quote, I feel like all of us grew up with a certain amount of trauma in the household. My father definitely had emotional issues. This wouldn't surprise me, just based on how sketchy my father was, end quote. Lou had also told investigators at one point that he was involved in organized crime. After a thorough investigation of the property and the vehicle, no human remains were found, despite cadaver dogs reacting to the scene twice. Atherton police report that the dogs could be reacting to human remains, blood, or old bones. Police still don't know the motive behind the buried car. And neighbors are also curious. Atherton resident told a reporter for NBC Bay Area that he only crossed paths with Lou a couple of times, and he wonders why Lou would report his car stolen, fill it with several bags of cement, and bury it in the backyard. Quote, I think it's crazy. How could you have a place like this? Property value so high, and you're scamming like, I don't know, an $8,000 car? It just doesn't make any sense, he said. Others simply called the discovery strange. It also made me wonder, if he wasn't trying to hide something nefarious, why the heck to go to all the expense and trouble to bury an entire car in your backyard? It seems unlikely that an insurance payoff was going to give you enough that it would probably cost you to, what, get some kind of big, you know, earth-moving equipment in there and dig a huge hole and then put this car in. It just seems like it wouldn't pay off. So what else could be the reason for doing that? To simply say that he could do it? To simply prove that he could? 
Was he maybe not in his right mind at that time and just did something just bizarre out of the blue? It really is a head scratcher. So if you have any ideas about it, please let me know. You can join our Facebook group, the Once Upon a Crime Facebook fan page, and let us know what you think. I want to give you one more really odd coincidence to this story. There's another mansion on that same street where the car was found on Stockbridge Avenue in Atherton that also has ties to another bizarre true crime case. This one also regarding a buried vehicle. Very odd coincidence. The other thing about that case is it also has ties to this podcast. I covered this case in the show in 2018, and that was the episode The Chowchilla School Bus Kidnapping. Two brothers who grew up on Stockbridge Avenue, just down the block from Johnny Lou's mansion, took a school bus full of children and their bus driver hostage in 1976. These two brothers had buried a tractor trailer underground in an isolated area where they hid the children and the driver while they sought to extort a ransom demand from their parents. You need to listen to all the crazy details of that case on episode 84, Last Stop, the Chowchilla School Bus Kidnapping. There's a link to that episode in the show notes. That'll do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. I'll be back next week and we'll begin our series for November titled Holidays in Hell. You'll hear three different cases that took place during three different holidays. First up will be the story of a young mother who went missing over Thanksgiving weekend. We'll follow that up with a Christmas time crime case and finally a New Year's crime spree. Make sure you follow or subscribe to Once Upon a Crime so you don't miss an episode. Once Upon a Crime is written and produced by me, Esther Sanchez Ludlow. My research and production assistant is Lorena Garcia. Follow us on social media. Links for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube are all listed on our website, truecrimepodcast.com. Until next time, be good to one another. <laughs>